Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. First is from Jeremiah 6, 16, and it says that this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. I think, I think God knew, he definitely knew that we were going to come to moments where we had choices to make. We could zig or we could zag. We could take A or we could take B, but he's asking us to stop. It says look. I think what that means, the word look is. It doesn't just say, oh, when you get to a crossroads, just make a decision and roll with it, right? You've got to stop and you have to consider what's going to happen if I take this path what's going to happen if I take this path. And I know the, the verse says ancient paths, right? I think for some people that uh, is going to be like, this is a little weird, the Bible uses language sometimes, and you're like, ancient paths, like, listen, this is 2023, ancient paths, but can I tell you that it might sound weird to you, but how many of you believe that normal is working for you right now? Right? Normal isn't working, so sometimes it's good to get weird. I can assure you that if someone, like, called me weird in the week, I'd be like, thank you. Thank you so much. I love being weird. I don't want to do normal anymore. Right? Uh, Trev over here says, like, I was normal for 30 seconds. It was a really tough 30 seconds of my life. I love that quote. Uh, And I'm kind of in that same boat. I love to be weird, and I'm happy that God made me weird. And then he says, so you you find the ancient path. That's the right direction to go and ask where the good way is. We've got to ask God, what is the good way? And then we walk in it. And then my favorite part of this entire, entire verse, it says, you will find rest for your souls. Again, who needs rest, right? How many of you know that when you get back from vacation, you've had the greatest time of your life and you feel restored and regenerated, you get home and you're like, I'm so tired. <laughs> you need a vacation from your vacation. There's no amount of trips. There's no amount of days off. There's no amount of time off. There's nothing that you can do to get the rest that God's talking about, the rest for your soul, And when we get in those moments where we're not rested and we, we don't find that rest, we get worried, right? Our problems come up. Our problems then have problems. And on those problems that give birth to new problems, and we have like great, great, great grand problems. Anybody else have those problems? Yeah, over here, for sure. But I think God in this is telling us to stop and check what path we're going to go down because he doesn't want us to get weary. And I think if we get stuck in those problems, we're going to get weary, Further on in that, uh, in, that, in, that, uh, in that book, in Jeremiah 18, 15, it says, But my people are not so reliable, for they have deserted me. They burn incense to worthless idols. They have stumbled off the ancient highways and walk in muddy paths. There's that word again, the ancient pathways, ancient highways. And it's a warning. He says, listen, if, you decide, if I've asked you to zig and you decide to zag, the path's going to be muddy. You're going to get bogged down in quicksand. You're going to fall through, and you're going to be stuck there. It's not a horrible threat, but it's like you're going to be slowed down. Have you tried tromping through the mud, and it's just impossible at times? That's the warning he gives us. It's going to get muddy. And I can assure you, how many of you had times, especially going through, I don't want to bring up COVID again, but we've gone through COVID. We've gone through all these struggles of reconnecting with the world, and it still feels a little muddy. It still feels like our paths are a little tough to get through. Maybe we've walked off the path, the, the ancient path, the good path that God's laid out for us. But who else knows that God is alive and well? He hasn't deserted us. 
He's still with us at those crossroads, and we can still walk that out. And that's the name I focus for today. It's going to be talking about that we can choose a path and the importance of the path we're taking that God has set before us. And that, that's kind of the bulk of it. But the, the most important point is that that path is not just for us. I, I personally feel that we have a responsibility as Christians, even as humans, to pass down what God has given us to the next generation. God is a multi-generational God. He didn't serve your grandparents and then just gave up on you. I can assure you that's not how this works. The Bible describes it perfectly in the Psalms. In Psalm 78, 4, 6 through 7, he says, We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders, so that the next generation might know them. This part's really important to me. Even the children not yet born. He makes it very specific on when life starts. And he says that they will in turn will teach their own children so each generation should set its hope anew on God. Not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. God is a multi-generational God. He cares about the past, he cares about the, fu- the current, and he cares about your future. And he wants to make sure that as you're doing the same thing, that you're walking out the path, staying with that focus. But he also says something simple. He's basically saying, we don't need to brag on what we've done. We don't need to talk about our, our, our high school you know, highlight reel or all the influencers we've got on social media. But no, we've got to brag on God. He's saying in order to be multi-generational and to teach the next generation, we've got to tell them about God. I find it really easy to tell people what I did really well. I find it really easy to say, hey, listen, I did this really cool thing. I think you're going to like it. But sometimes I forget, like, I did this really cool thing, but all times because God gave me the ability to do it. And today that's where we're going to go. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. I know there's some note takers in here. I don't see a thing in my wife's hands. She's a note taker. I'm going I'm to test her later. But today we're going to talk about something really important, and that is the value of a generational mentality. To me, it's like the value of all values. Like this encompasses everything because we can take in a lot of things. We can work on ourselves and we can do things right by us, but ultimately we have to have the ability to pass this down, right? Because if it ends with us, what's the point? We have to be able to pass it down. God wants us to make disciples. He told us, he instructed us, go do this. Go teach this to the next generation. And first of all, I can tell you, this is a pretty credible generation, right? Right? Like, this is a dynamic generation. I think the clearest place that God is showing us again is in Exodus. In Exodus 3.15, he says, God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God, Isaiah, And the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Showing, and again, this is him showing a multi-generational plan. That's how most of us think, right? We think like, we think there's a generation above us. There's a generation that's like beside us and a generation below us. That's usually what we think. And God gives us this model right here. He's telling his people like, listen, this is the God I am. I'm the God of then. I'm the God of now. And I'm the God of tomorrow. And I've got a thing here so you can kind of see something really cool about this. I think God is speaking us to us so much more than just the words that it is. You know, he talks about God of Abraham. And Abraham lived for 175 years. 
Who wants to live 175 years? I don't. Okay, Bill, just you. The only one to raise your hand in here. I want to live a long time. I don't want to live that long. Right? Is that, is that, is that a Marvel thing where it says you either live long enough to... See, I don't know. I'm not going to get into that. It says Isaiah lived for 180 years, a little bit longer. And it says that uh, Jacob lived 147 years. He did something wrong, clearly. Either too much fast food or he talked back to his wife too much. He only got 150 in there. He had, he had time to go. But the cool thing about this, if you guys can throw up the next slide that there was a period of time in there that all three generations lived at the same time. They were able to share God's knowledge, God's, uh, the stories of him, the greatness of him from generation to generation to generation. There's something really, really incredible about that. And because of that, it makes us a very dynamic generation, right? We've got another uh, diagram here that talks about who we are. And if you study gener- uh, generations through, and this is something I've always been kind of interested in because I just think it's a, cool, it's a cool moment to study, is that right now we're living in a time where there's five generations. God talked about three and how incredible it was. We're living in five. Now, I'm going to ask a question. Is there anybody in here from the silent generation that's 1928 to 1945? I didn't think so, but I can assure you we've got one person right now watching online in that generation. That's only like, what, mid-80s? That's incredible, right? The next generation is baby boomers. Where are my baby boomers at? 1946 to 1964. Over here, we got some over here. Very quiet. We got the Gen Xers, 1965, 1980. Where y'all at? We got woos over here. Some, some hands up. We got millennials, 1980. There's a lot of y'all in here. I'm a millennial, right? Just barely. I don't I like to admit it, but I am. We got Gen Zs in here, 1997 to now. We got hands in there, also very quiet. That's weird. But can I tell you that the most amazing thing is that we have Gen Zers here? Can we give some applause for the Gen Zers? They're showing up to church. To me, that's incredible because that's not always common. And again, if you can throw up the next slide, again, five generations now that can share from one another. That's dynamic, but I can also show you it's really uncomfortable right? God talks about three people basically living in the same house. That's a three-bedroom house with one bathroom. We've got five people living in that same house, right? Imagine it's like this. The baby boomers own the house, of course. We built a really nice apartment in the backyard for the silent generation so they can live out their days. <laughs> Sorry. Gen X is just in the basement trying to wake up the millennials who are sleeping until nine and 10 every day, right? Millennials are just trying to figure out why their Gen Zers won't get off Minecraft. Right? That's, and how are those supposed to connect? How are those supposed to get along? It's uncomfortable. It's five generations deep. But I think there is some, something really special about that that we have to pay attention to. So I want to break that down even for is that talking about that we are not only dynamic, but we are a diverse generation. There's a lot of differences in there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to broad stroke this because I know there's obviously a lot of change and things within there, but I'm going to broad stroke it. The first one is that for the silent generations, the boomers, and for the X generation, is that for the most part, life was slower paced. Can I get an amen? I wish we were there. Slower paced. Faith was, not everyone had the same faith, but I can assure you that, that faith was like a shared value. That everyone respected that, hey, everyone had a faith that everyone talked about it. And it was a, it was a value that everyone shared. Trust, 
they had a high level of trust. They trusted before they distrusted, specifically in authority, organizations, and morality. Morality was high moral standards. Because listen, if I did something stupid, I mean, I'm not in this generation. I still came in that middle thing. If I did something stupid, my neighbor was going to beat me. It wasn't just my parents. Everyone supported everybody. And then something crazy happened along. The millennials came along and just dropped a bomb on everything. Because the, ch- <laughs> because the change started then. And I, and I talk about some of this, not to throw them under the bus, but actually so that we can have sympathy for what some of the millennials and, and the gen, uh, y, what, wires, zeros, zeros, sorry, had to grow up with. Because it's not as easy. I'm a millennial, so I grew up in that time period. You know, like, it was a different time. I was kind of that last year that was like kind of, kind of in the old, but kind of had my foot in the new. We had a phone that was plugged into the wall. You guys know what that is? I don't think it was in, I don't think it was plugged in. My mom's over here. She can tell me, but I do know we had a, like a, a phone with a dial on it. I don't know if we were using it. I imagine a rotary phone. Yeah. I imagine that if you had friends that had a nine or a zero in their number, you just gave up being friends with them. It's like one, one, nine. Oh, I don't want to call this person ever again. We had Blockbuster. Yeah. We had parks and fields. We went outside. I'm not going to get into that. We had one foot in the old, but it was a different world. Now, today, we're going to go into millennials and Gen Zers that life is frantic. Did you know the average work week now is 47 hours? Millennial generation added almost a whole other day to their work week. That's not even including if you do emails and you're checking on things or the drive. It's a whole other day of life that you are missing out. It is frantic. Faith is at the margins. Many of us believe now that we can't even talk about faith. Don't talk about it. Keep, it's not a shared value. You don't talk about your faith. You don't ask someone from theirs. We don't, we don't share about it. Trust is broken. We distrust way before we trust. Authority, churches, we think everyone's out to get us. And morality is very different. Morality is turned from having high moral standards to something that's kind of coined moral tolerance. Which basically, is, in a nutshell, just simply says that there was a time when tolerance meant that people had equal value. No matter who you are, no matter what you believe, no matter what generation, you had equal value with the next person because of who you are. And that's, that's transitioned. Moral tolerance means that now every idea has value. And if your idea isn't my idea, I will devalue you as a person. <laughs> Awkward, right? I mean, it's true. Who's been on the comment section of a Facebook post recently? No matter what it is. Oh, you let your dog out and you don't have a fence? Canceled. <laughs> oh, you have a fence, but it left open, the dog ran away? Canceled. It has nothing to do with who you are, but because your idea is different, they just won't tolerate you. I got to open this. I'm sorry. Trying to one-handle it. All this has led us to be a very disconnected generation from each other. We basically speak different languages. Who hangs around with their grandpa and you hear, what? What did he just say? What? What is he even saying? We use different language. We call our grandparents old farts. 
Like, they don't have wisdom. Listen, there was a time when I would go to the racetrack, when the Columbus had a racetrack with my grandfather, and I would sit there and eat Donato's pizza. I didn't even care about races. I just wanted to soak up as much as my grandpa could give me. Um, and there's a time now that I miss that. I don't take the time as much as I should to hang out with my grandpa, to get that wisdom, to get that love and energy from the, the generations behind me. And I think, I think the enemy wants this for us. He wants us to be disconnected. Because if we're not connected, there's no way we're going to work together to, to push God's kingdom forward. The Bible says this in Judges. This is what's happening going on in Judges 17.6. He says, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever they seemed right, or what, did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. They didn't have someone to learn from. They weren't connected to a higher thing. They just got into trouble and, and ran amok. This is how the enemy wants us to live. Break us from the, the opportunity to be together, to work together. Wants us to keep us away from God's true heart. I know this is heavy, but I think heaviness is generally what creates change, right? Sometimes we got to sink to the bottom, figure out where we are so that we can get back up. I think it's important for us to realize that how disconnected we are. How many, this is going to be a really sensitive question, but I got to ask it. How many of have you have had a church that you're a part of split because of something really maybe silly? They didn't like the, the coffee that was served, so they split. They didn't like the dress code, so they split. You know, I, I, I coined this, I think I coined this, I don't know, I probably stole it from somebody, like six months ago, is that church has now become the Baskin Robbins of religion. There's 31 flavors of Christianity, and we did it to ourselves. You've got mint chip, and you've got mint chip with raisins. It's no different, but it's there, right? It's, and, it, and it's just silly. God wants us to be connected. He wants his church to be connected. There's a great uh, quote here from, a, uh, from Margaret Mead. She's a cultural anthropologist, 1960s. I'm going to read it here. She said, throughout human history and all cultures, parents and grandparents have helped their young understand life and future. However, I anticipate a time, or a time is coming where technology and culture changes so fast. For the first time in human history, children will have to figure out for themselves what their values will be. Who feels like that's where we're at? This was the 1960s. I'm like, technology existed in the 60s? Right? Right? To me, that was a weight when I read that. Like, that's where we are, but I can, I, in God's name, can we not be discouraged by that? About you, that little fire for me, it's like, I want to go the other way. I want to push to be connected, to be more connected together. We have to surround the next generation. We've got to help them get into God's full potential, their full calling. God has a plan and a purpose for everybody. Boop. That's the coolest thing about my job is when I have a sermon, I get to do things like that over there on the wall. I get to like blow up my ideas as big as for the world to see. Sorry, I was happy about that. But God's given us a plan and a purpose. And I think it's a calling on our life to help the next generation find that as well. This is our mantle. We can't outsource it. This isn't a job for Pastor Aaron or Pastor Kyle or just our kidsmen's leaders. This is our calling as all Christians. Listen, if you're over 20 years old, 
Have you found that next person? Have you tapped them on the shoulder and said, hey, I want to start encouraging you. I see something in you. I want to start, and you're going to start praying for that person and say, hey, I see something really incredible in you. Can I, can I walk with you a little bit? This is a place that I struggle to. This is our mantle. And the Bible is, is wrought with details for this. Examples after examples and examples. Exodus, specifically, he talks about, you know, Moses and Joshua. Moses, every night, would go into the tabernacle at the end of the night after a hard day. First of all, Moses had to have been the pastor of the worst church in history. Right? If it were me, I'd want to go to the tabernacle after work and just sit there in God's presence and just push everyone else out. But that wasn't what he did. He brought Joshua in with him because the next generation mattered. Joshua, and it's not clear, it says he's a teenager, somewhere between 15 and 17 probably. Moses knew the importance of raising up the next generation and making sure that they got to experience the presence of God just as much as he did. And if you know the story, Moses for years and years and years was trying to find the Israelites into promised land. And Moses didn't get there, but Joshua did. He took them as far as he could, and then Joshua took that next step and took the people into the promised land. If Moses hadn't have been there, it's a whole generation of people that could have been wiped out because Joshua wasn't raised up. The other sample, example is Eli and Samuel. Samuel was asleep in the, in the church, it says. Is that, is that not a church kid right there? I've come and my daughter's just out on the floor because we're getting here way earlier than everybody else. Samuel wasn't even a believer. Didn't know anything about God. But he heard God call out his name, and it kind of panicked him a little bit. He's like, I heard Samuel. I, I don't know what that is, but there was an Eli there. And Eli got to explain to him what it all was. He said, hey, that's God calling your name, and you can answer. He told him, this is all you need to do. When next time he calls your name, say, hey, God, it's me, Samuel. I want to listen. Please keep speaking to me. And that's for the entire generation. So that the next time, when the next generation found out that God was calling them into something, they knew how to be present. They knew how to answer God. They knew how to step forward and how to be there. The next time God calls out to the next generation, they'll know what to do. And that's my prayer today. The funny thing that goes on, and then Samuel did that to the next generation. So Samuel, does anyone know about David? David was the best king, the Bible says. But before he was the best king, he was nobody. So there was this time when basically they were doing like elections for a king kind of situation. And, Sam, or, uh, and David's dad believed in him so little that he didn't even bring him. He's like, no. Didn't even bring him to be king. Like, to me, I don't care what it is. My daughter got a chance to do it. I'm like, you know, doing everything I can to. But Samuel saw something in David that even his parents didn't. He became the spiritual father that David needed. And then David went on to be the best king. Elijah and Elisha. Elijah was one that did a lot of miracles and did some incredible things. And as kind of was on his way out, he, it says that he threw his cloak over Elijah, basically headed out of a city. And he called out to Elijah and said, hey, follow me. And Elijah, he did. And Elijah did this because he knew that his, his reign or his, his, his walk 
for the Lord wouldn't stop with him, but it would go from glory to glory to glory. And Elijah's last prayer before he died was simply that God would give Elisha a double portion of God's power, of God's spirit. Give him a double portion. And sure enough, the Bible says that Elijah did eight miracles in his life. And do you know how many Elisha did? Sixteen. God blessed that. And the impact on the kingdom for the next generation was far more than it was the first one. Listen, I, I love Simple Church. It's my favorite place in the world most days. No matter what I'm struggling with, I can come through the doors. It's an empty building, and I get here, and I just feel restored. But I can tell you that every amazing thing that God has done here in the last nine years, I believe is nothing compared to what he's going to do in the next 30. By the time I'm old and, and, not, and just not doing what I'm doing, I'm praying to God that there's someone else that I have raised up that for those next 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years that God allows it, that this church goes and does amazing things, and it's not me that's doing it. But for that to happen, it takes you. It takes you being the spiritual parent that someone else needs. Luke 10, uh, 10 2, it says, He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is a prayer from Jesus that we get to answer. They want to know what a harvest field is? It's just a place that needs work. I know a lot of people don't want to get dirty. That's not what it's talking about. It's just a place that needs work. It's an untended place that we have the opportunity to go into, plant seed for it to bloom for the next generation. That's what we have to do. If you've been discouraged at times and feeling like this may be you, that there just isn't a, a next generation ready for you, I, I can assure you that that can be what your, what your superpower is. You can be a spiritual parent for your kids, for your neighbors, for your coworkers, for your friends. That's what we're here for. You can help the world around you by just simply telling them what the world, word of God is and helping them walk it out. Paul was one of the best of this, which is incredible to me because of all Paul did, but he had to think multi-generationally. He knew he could start the church, but it wouldn't be established unless he was worried about the next generation and took it further. Paul talks about this in two places. In Corinthians 11.23, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. And then he says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who have also will also be qualified to teach others, passing down the truth of a generational mentality. So he's saying there's two things you have to do there. The first thing we have to do is we have to personally receive from God. That's the first thing that we can do to, to get here. But that receive is differently. So receive is not like, that's not like you're waiting on your Amazon package to come. Receive is like you are ingesting it, you're eating it. This is day 22 of the 21 days of prayer and you're in line at Chipotle and what you're about to do damage to that restaurant, right? This is aggressive. You're receiving it. You're internalizing. It's becoming part of who you are. But in order for us to give it to the next generation, we have to receive it personally. And this is really incredible because for me, I read this as, man, I'm just not doing a good job. But listen, Paul, he wasn't one of the original apostles, disciples, sorry. He missed three years of Jesus. 
So God is saying right then and there that it is not too late to follow me. It is never too late to make a massive impact in the people around you. We have to make a choice to personally receive. And for me, this is a simple challenge. For me, I receive from God when I'm sitting here. That's my challenge to you guys. Whether you call Simple Church or home or not, make it your home. Be here for the next year. Pastor Aaron says that all the time. Give me a year. And I'm going to challenge you with the very same thing. Give us a year. Show up to our leadership lessons. Show up to our outreaches. Show up to, show up to church. Be here, and I can guarantee you that God will make massive changes in your world. And you can personally receive from God. We are at a crossroads. But we have to soak it in, because if we're not here to receive it, we won't be able to do anything to give it. The second thing we have to do is we have to intentionally pass it on to others. That probably was expected. In that second passage, Paul says the word entrust. He didn't say we're going to do like a drive-by Bibling and we're just going to throw the word at people's faces and hope they get it, right? Entrust is a really deep word. The old language basically says that's it's to, to really hide it in, in a spot. When you're, this is like a, like a bank. When you guys drive by the bank to make your deposit with the money that you worked hard for, do you just like throw it out the window and be like, put it under the mattress? No. It's valuable. You walk in, you wait in line, you sit in front of the glass window, and you hand that money to them, and you don't want to let go. But you hand the money to them, and they put it away safe and sound for you. They put it in, inside a locked place that you've entrusted it to them. The other great thing is when you put it in the bank, the money collects interest for the next generation. We have to entrust what we have learned what God has given us to the next generation. So if any of you guys are thinking about this, like, okay, where do we start with all this? How do I actually apply this mentality in my life? And I know it can be super overwhelming if you think about it, but I can assure you it is not. There's gold in these generations. We just need to help them harvest it. We just need to harvest the fields and help them find it, dig it up, walk it out. As you're looking at the next generation, figure out, okay, what do I do here? There's just three questions I think we need to help the next generation answer. And the first one is, what is truth? Kind of started with a big one. This has always been a really popular conversation, even in the Bible. In John 18, 37 to 38, uh, Pilate said, so you are a king? And Jesus responded, well, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize what I say is true. Pilate asked the question, so what is truth? This is the fundamental question, I think, for humanity. At the core of humanity, anywhere we see brokenness, disorder, chaos, which now, right, 2023, is now we're not dealing with that in our society. All these areas of pain are just places in our lives and culture where we're not living out truth. Okay? Well, what is truth? John 8 says, tell us where the truth is, and there is freedom. We find truth, we find freedom. Okay, thank God again. What is truth? We want freedom. John 17, 17 answers that question as clear as day. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So going back to that. Anywhere we see disorder, brokenness, chaos, disconnection, 
The only thing they're missing is truth. The only thing that they're missing is God's word. The place in our culture is just not simply living out God's word in our life, in our culture. We've been living in our flesh instead of in our Bibles. Living in our head instead of our word, his word. You have to be intentional about staying in God's word, staying connected with God and focusing to receive from God. And again, this isn't, this isn't for our generation only. This is for our, our kids' generation. There's something incredible happening right back there right now with our kids' men. Your kids are not back there getting babysat. Your kids are not back there being watched while they play on video games. They are right now getting a word from God. Pastor Laney, first of all, can we give a round of applause to our kids' workers, kids' men? <laughs> Pastor Laney and everything she does to make sure that that space is ready for your kids, to make sure that they're not just playing video games. They're having a blast, I can assure you, but they are learning about the word of God and most importantly, how to walk that out. I'm going to get to a place where my only goal is to raise up the next generation and knowing that God's word, knowing God's word and how to live it out. That's my goal. As a dad, it's super important to me. I do a terrible job of it. My daughter's not even here. I'm just kidding. She's at volleyball. I don't think I do a good job in this area. And, and as I was studying this, I kind of got, I got tested a little bit. And so I started walking this out and I found a, a, a statistic or a figure that kind of broke my heart, but also empowered me a little bit. It said, if a family member comes to Christ, the influence they have on the rest of their family coming to Christ. So this is if someone comes to Christ, they start walking out that faith of how much the family is going to come along with them. It says a mom has 18%. Kids, 22%. But look at that last number. Dads, that's a challenge to you. 94% that if you start following Jesus and you make that connection with God, 94% chance that your family, your children, their generations are going to come with you. And if, if like me, you get to this point, you're like, I just haven't done a good job here. It is not too late. It's never too late to receive from God and intentionally pass it on to your children. <laughs> Thanks. Jonesy told me as long as I'm loud and confident that everyone will listen. So I'm hoping being both of those. So where do we start with this? Dads, family members, where do you start with this? It's simple. Before we make a move, we're going to ask God what we're supposed to do. It's as simple as that. Your kids will see that. Before we make a big decision in our family, Go to the Bible. Go to Google. Google. What does the Bible say about? It'll spit it out with multiple phrases, multiple verses, and tell you this is what the Bible says about this. Show your kids that that matters to you. So the first question was, what is truth? The second question that we need to help our next generation find, it's very simple. Where do I belong? If you can do one thing in your home, create an environment of belonging. You want great friends, you want great family, friendships, create a space that when someone comes into your home, they feel like they belong. As teenagers, I mean, myself, I wanted nothing to do but to get out of my house, right? We're all there. But I think we all have that, but if you create an a, a environment of belonging, even though your kids may drift from it, all they want to do is they want to get back to it. Same thing with this church. If we create an environment where people belong, they may drift they may walk away from God for a little bit, but they're gonna ha God's going to keep tugging on them. All they want to do is come back and belong. We have to create that environment of belonging. 
If you create it, it produces identity, joy, confidence. Tell me that's not something that this generation needs. To me, when I get lost, so my wife and I have rules about how we drive. If I'm driving, I'm controlling the GPS, period. Some of our biggest fights in the car are simply because I said, hey, type this into your GPS, and I'm over doing this. Like, I'm driving, I'm looking over. Like, at some point, she's going to tell me where to turn. Hasn't come yet. Eventually, she'll get there. We set up rules, right? Because I feel like I'm lost. I'm just getting a chaos. Usually, it starts getting loud because I'm like, give me the directions. I did. No, you didn't. And this goes back and forth. I need to know where I'm going. So then I, okay, shut your phone off. I pull up my phone, I bring up the map, and there's a big point in the middle of the map that says, you are here. And to me, that is the best time because now there's no longer a question of where I'm going. Right? I know that once I've found out where I am, it's now going to tell me exactly where I need to go. It's gonna, I can map out the pathway to know exactly what I'm looking for. Everyone needs this. The word of God is that GPS. It's saying, hey, listen, this is where you are. This is where you want to go. And boop, 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 boop. That's where you need to go. A great way to do this in your family is just storytelling. Tell your kids stories about your life, how you grew up, how you got together, how you got married, how God has changed your life. Tell stories. The next generation will learn how great God is. And I know this is hard for a lot of people. We've got people in here who were broken. We've got people who didn't come from families that they felt like they belonged in. And listen, that is okay because God's family is always accepting you. No matter what family you came from, no matter if you never felt like you never belonged anywhere, I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, you belong here. Every one of you belong here. God loves you. And he wants you to become part of a spiritual family, the kingdom of God. Simple church, might I ask? God says this pretty clearly in Psalm 68. He says, God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Listen, if you're lonely, if you don't feel like you belong, I can tell you, SC is an amazingly diverse, quite weird, good thing, normal isn't working. We're a strange family. Anyone ever mean sloth from Ice Age? This is the weirdest people we've ever seen. <laughs> Almost. We're a weird family, but we accept you. We want you here to experience God in a personal way. The greatest thing I learned about doing this is that, you know, Jewish culture, there is no orphanages. Do you know why? Because there's no orphans. When families pass away and unfortunate situations happen, those kids have a place to go. They immediately get absorbed into loving families who take care of them. There's no need for it. So if you're here today and you're a little lost, come on in. Do what we're doing. I got to run through this last one pretty quick. I'm running out of time. Music start. So the first question was, what is truth? The second question is, where do I belong? The third question is, does my life matter? This is a question that we need to help the next generation answer. And for this, I go back to the last time I spoke, Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. I could just stop there. 
He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things, walk the path, he planned for us long ago. Once again, you are a masterpiece, and I care so much about you. I've cared from day one. I care now. Anyone readers in here? Mark Twain. It's one of the greatest quotes of all times. Mark Twain said, the two best date moments of your life is the day you were born and the day you find out why. I'm trying to share with you this is why. When I think of my story, I'm here, I'm married, I've got a beautiful daughter, I've got a wonderful family, I've got people in my life that have cared about me, but I wouldn't be here if it weren't for all the people who helped get me here. I can look across this room, my my incredible wife, who does this incredible job for me to always lift me up and encourage me on to the next thing. She tells me pretty often, God loves me, that she likes me a little bit. Keep him humble. I don't know if Kim Kasner is here, but about three weeks ago, Kim Kasner came up to me. If you want a good example of a multi-generational, someone who cares about the next generation, find Kim. I don't know where she's at. She here? Dang, not here. Talk to Kim. She pulled me aside after, after a service and just said, hey, Derek, I've really seen some great things in you. I just really love to see that your personality is shining through. I'm a bit of usually like a doorknob kind of in the corner of the room. And I've talked to Kim, but I haven't had a deep conversation with her. And for me, that just put so much life into my spirit. The enemy wants nothing more than to stop that from happening. So as we come across that next generation, that's what we have to do. We have to affirm them and say, we affirm what we see in them and say, listen, we see what God wants to do in your life. We see it. Let's walk that out. then we, we call it out in them. This is what it is. This is what God wants for your life. Let's do it. And then we have to challenge it. We love you, but come on. Whatever it is you're currently doing, let's go. Let's, let's get moving. We got to do this. There might be some places where there needs to be correction, but listen, don't you know that if the next generation knows that they are loved, they will love to be challenged. If you just throw the Bible at their head, I can assure you it's not going to stick. In order for us to walk those ancient paths that God wants us to walk, we have to reconnect with one another, most importantly with Jesus. Otherwise, we'll be untethered, drifting, and just drifting off into the distance. And God doesn't want that for us. God can, each, can use each and every one of you. He can use me. He can use you. He can use you. He can use you to help the next generation find out about what God is all about. Tell me that's not amazing. To see, I'm going to close with this, to see a generational mentality grow, it's just two simple things. We have to personally receive from God, receive it, internalize it, make it ours, bring God into our hearts, and then we just intentionally give it to others. If we bow our heads and pray, guys. God, we want to personally receive from you today. Lord, we ask for new moments from you, new people to enter our lives, God, that we can show your amazing love to, Lord. 
Lord, we're not, we know we're not here by accident. And even though we may be lonely, broken, chaotic, loud, just everything going on in the world around us, we know that within you, things get calmer. You know, there's, there's a number of people in this room who don't even know who God is, and that is actually okay. God, because we know that if they don't know who you are, they belong here. If they don't follow you, they belong here. If they have crap in their life that they're just dealing with so poorly, they belong here. And we know that you've got a word for them, God. Your love, your life-changing love is here, ready, and available. Help us to be the new generation, Lord, to help all the generations to come follow you. Amen. I did mention that you have a chance for salvation today. If you're here in this room and you don't know God, that's cool. But I want to invite you today to know him. If you've made decisions as you've been listening that you say, hey, I don't know what the heck you're saying, but I want to. That you want to learn more about God or maybe Maybe it's you're not saying, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm a Christian today. This is my day one. This is my first step. But maybe I just, I drifted and I want to reconnect. I'm going to give you a chance in a, in a second to raise your hand because we want to pray with you. We're not going to make it weird. We're not going to ask you to come up here. We're not going to embarrass you, but we do want to pray with you. If that's you today on the count of three, can you just raise your hand and say, yeah, I'm saying yes today to God. I want to I walk this out. I guarantee you there's a whole lot of people in this room that are going to get around you and want to do it, right? So on the count of three, let's do one, two, three. Let's raise hands. That's you today. Thank you. I see that. Thank you. That's incredible, guys. Can we pray that out real quick? No one prays alone in Simple Church. I don't know if y'all heard that before. No one prays alone. We pray with every person. So let's pray. Jesus, I give you my heart today. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, all of my mistakes, all of my transgressions. Lord, I turn away from all of it and run straight to you. Be my Lord, be my Savior. God, fill me with your spirit and let me live the rest of my life following you. And let me show others your amazingness as well. Amen. Guys, can we celebrate with everybody today? Do you know how amazing it is to be that person to say yes today? Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. We hope it has given you hope and helped you know God a little bit more. The goal of this podcast is to reach beyond our walls and connect with people far from God. If you'd like to join us in doing that, there are several ways for you to get involved. First, you can pray for us as a church. Prayer is our first response and our greatest resource. Pray for opportunities that we can boldly step into, make a difference in our community and around the world as we proclaim the good news of Jesus. Second, share this episode on your social media accounts and directly with your friends. It's easy to do through whatever platform you're currently using to listen to this message. Just click share and follow the prompts. Finally, you can support the mission through your generosity. The best part about this is that it's also an act of worship where you express the priority of your love for God and others through your finances. Links to give are in the show notes or simply visit www.mysimple.church giving. We are so thankful you joined us today. and hope you'll consider joining the mission of our church in some way. Thank you again, and we'll see you at next week's episode.